What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Listen, the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast is about to blow up. going on ladies and gentlemen this is your boy crawl how's everybody doing out there today listen i am so so excited to welcome you to the child welfare raising awareness podcast listen y'all this is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare this podcast is brought to you by tuskegee university the department of social work and I will be your host. That's right, your boy Croft. So if you are a student, current child care professional, educator, or parent, know this. You have landed in the right place because this is the podcast show where we will raise awareness about interesting child welfare-related topics. Now listen, I will be bringing on various guest experts to discuss real-world topics that relates to child welfare just to equip you for practice. I must say, y'all, it's going to be quite interesting to say the least. I look forward to seeing you soon. This is your boy, Croft. We'll be hollering at you later. <laughs> Peace. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is your boy, Croft. How's everybody doing? Listen, y'all. I'm going to tell you, we're going to have a good time today, y'all. Again, again, y'all, I just want to welcome everyone to the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. It's all about rapping, y'all. You understand what I'm saying? This is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare. And this podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University, the Department of Social Work, and I am your host. That's right, your boy Croft, Spencer Croft. And we're going to do this thing today. We're going to have a good time today. Listen, y'all, I got I got a guy who I'm getting ready to interview, y'all. I mean, he's a he's a he's a Tuskegee alumni. I mean, you know, uh, he's been around. He knows his way around Tuskegee. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Mr. Eugene Dura. Let me tell you a little bit about him, y'all. You know, in 2007, you know, see, see, first of all, he always been about changing lives and communities for the better. See, in 2007, you know, greatness by nature founder Eugene Dura pioneered the I Pledge Compton movement as a freshman student at Tuskegee University. Told y'all, he, he around Tuskegee, y'all. As a former welfare recipient, y'all listen to me now. Eugene was dedicated to change, to changing he and his family circumstances, but also uplifting his entire community. Now, listen. In 2011, he started selling T-shirts from his trunk, God Almighty, while pledging to give 10% of his profits to charitable programs that directly benefited undeserved communities. My God. See, the movement quickly, it quickly spread it, y'all. It quickly spread it. And, and, and let me tell you about this. Let me tell you how it did. After he led the pledge I pledged Compton March in 2013 with the support of close friends and family. The company gained support from notable public figures such as Mayor Asia Brown, 
Now, this is the, the, the listen, listen, young, listen, young cats. Kendrick Lamar, DeMar Rosen, James Harden, The Game, Big Phase 100, and many others. The slogan has become a namesake for the community's landmark guaranteed income initiative that distributes reoccurring cash relief to no to low income residents. You know, listen, y'all, this guy is phenomenal. Let me tell y'all, without further ado, wait, let, wait a minute. Let me before before I introduce this guy, before I introduce this guy, you know, He's going to be the keynote speaker, y'all. He's the keynote speaker for the upcoming conference. I mean, you know, you 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 got to hear this guy. Please, y'all, please, y'all, make sure you listen to Eugene's story. He he. I mean, it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. I'm so proud of this guy. And, you know, he is he is going to be a legend. You know, I mean, he's a young guy right now, but he's going to do his thing. And without further ado, without further ado, I want to introduce none other than Mr. Eugene Dura. What's up, Kat? Oh, man, that's that. That was an introduction. <laughs> hey, man, what's happening with you? <laughs> oh, man, uh, I'm I'm blessed uh, and honored uh, to uh you know, to be a part of this podcast. I mean, to uh, also, uh, you know, come back to, you know, Tuskegee in this way. Uh, this is this is a real honor, you know, to be be a, a keynote speaker for this upcoming conference and also uh, on this podcast. And just hearing you share that story is just a, a reminder, a reminder of, you know, what, uh, you know, what my purpose is. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate that introduction. Okay, good deal, good deal. Hey, listen, y'all, we 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 are excited to hear about what's going on. Now, my first question to you, Mr. Dura, is what is greatness by nature? Can you explain? Can you explain to us about that? Yeah, so um, it actually a funny story about how that you know kind of name came about. But I was actually uh, listening to Naughty by Nature on the radio. Um, listen at and, you, listen at you, listen at you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> and and so I was you know thinking of different names that uh, for uh, my company. You know, I know you mentioned you know like with the I Pledge Compton movement, and I think I Pledge Compton movement. You know, is kind of you know, really what kind of birthed uh, the name and, and really wanted to have a, a brand. And, and that's how Greatness by Nature came about. But really, it's uh, it was empowering for myself first in terms of just recognizing and really believing, you know, that, I you know, God put me here for a reason. And, and I believe that, you know, we all possess the capabilities to you know, overcome obstacles in pursuit of our goals and dreams. And to me, that that's greatness by nature. I think that we all possess, uh, you know, this innate gift uh, to do that. And I, and, and I think that we all have a purpose and calling. And then really, I think uh, with that, with the name uh, itself is, is empowering. Uh, and I hope to, you know, be able to continue to empower others. And I've done that by way of, you know, charitable things that you've mentioned already, some of the things being, 
you know, leading a march in my community, um, my hometown growing up, I uh, had a, a I Pledge Compton march, uh, also giving uh, in, in ways, whether that's, you know, vi- donating uh, to charitable causes uh, with a percentage of proceeds from, uh, you know, selling different clothing items. Uh, and, and then also when it comes to, you know, really, you know, all of the efforts around just whether that be volunteering to help clean up, you know, a neighborhood park or, you know, just just doing service in the community. And so Greatness by Nature is really uh, an entity that I've used in various different ways, uh, primarily uh, currently the way I've been using this uh, vehicle for changes through uh, again, continuing with the clothing. I started from my trunk. Now I have a website uh, and I've uh, recently relaunched our website is actually greatnessbynature.com. And we have different, you know, clothing products uh, there. And my plan is to really continue to build on, you know, just having different merch to kind of be able to showcase, you know, different statements that are empowering, uplifting, that kind of symbolizes more of the values that I that really I try to implement in my work as a social worker uh, and in my community. uh, And I hope to expand in the future to be able to actually, you know, provide programming as well along with that and using really the merchandise as a vehicle for, you know, establishing revenue to be able to help support more of the, um, you know, charitable causes that at the root of what I want to accomplish in my career. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, listen, man, you know, from all that you went through growing up, I was when I was reading the bio, I I, I saw that, you know, um, that you were a child welfare recipient. What Mm -hmm. drove you? What gave you that drive, though? Like, look, I want more. What was it as a kid, though? Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, one of my I'd be remiss of explaining anything about my story without mentioning my mother. My mother, um, known in my neighborhood as Auntie Rhonda, uh, mm-hmm. Rhonda uh, Shepherd uh, Duraw, uh, and she uh, modeled uh, for me growing up. Um, you know the the kind of model of greatness by nature to me in terms of instilling that belief that all things are possible. And that you can overcome, you know, uh, different obstacles. And so she was a walking example of that. And so I was influenced, heavily influenced by my mother's service to the community uh, by uh, just, you know, you know, like, you know, that's old saying you give your last to a stranger. Uh, She was the epitome of that. Wow. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we struggling with uh, rent, but she wanted to help feed the homeless yes. or, um, you know, working three to four jobs, but still finding a way to help take care of family members or uh, just keeping a smile on her face. And so I think that that gave uh, that was an incredible influence on me growing up and uh, and, and also uh, having a couple of older brothers as well that and actually are Tuskegee alumni, too. And they also gave me the belief that, you know, I could, you know, one day I could go to college. Right. I'm like, man, if Tuskegee accepted them. Right. Then I know I can I can go to school if they <laughs> if they if they could go. Right. And so. Right. Uh, and, and so Tuskegee actually ended up being the only place that I applied to. But in terms of, 
you know, just the, those origins, all of those different struggles that I went through, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, from, you know, just growing up in an impoverished, you know, community, uh, experiencing, you know, firsthand when it when it comes to gang violence, having an older cousin who's like an older brother to me as well. Uh, he, you know, being shot, you know, growing up and, you know, witnessing, you know, the aftermath of what kind of chaos that brings and, you know, witnessing friends that, you know, are being harmed as a result of, you know, the violence that was taking place in my community. These different experiences and, uh, I mean, even, you know, being pulled over by law enforcement and, you know, them handcuffing me in my front yard, pointing guns at me and just wow. experiencing all wow. kind of different chaos and not for, you know, any type of thing that I was guilty of, but rather, you know, just more so fit into the, the description of somebody mm-hmm. that they were looking for, you know, on numerous, numerous occasions and all different things that, you know, and, and really trauma and all of these different experiences really just uh, propelled me to always ask the question as to why. Mm-hmm. Why are these different things? You know, why are some members of my family homeless? Why are people homeless overall? I would ask these large questions as to why these different things are happening. You know, in my neighborhood, why are some people poor? Uh, why are these things happening in my family? And uh, and then it wasn't until I actually, you know, was introduced to social work. And I want to shout out my brother, uh, my big brother, Jr., who actually uh, he he picked out my first classes, uh, helping me uh, actually my freshman year and put me in an introductory to social work course. And one, that's when I learned like I, all the answers to those why questions I've been, I was asking my whole life. And so that really inspired me to continue to pursue a career in social work because I felt like this was finally something that I can actually you know, do some, learn something, some tools to be able to help me do something about some of those challenges that I saw firsthand growing up. My God, man, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. My friend, that is phenomenal. Being able to come up when you almost flat on your back and the only way you can see it is up and you made it happen. Come on, man, you're doing your thing, man. Listen, listen now, now, now the next thing I need to know, because I asked you about, you know, when you was a kid, However, but what drove you as a freshman to pioneer the I Pledge Compton movement? Yeah, so that that was actually, you know, it was a couple of different things. So as I as I mentioned, you know, there were there was there was gang violence, you know, going on in my neighborhood and. You know, I I mean, from every every, you know, I mean, every block had, you know, some type of, you know, gang affiliation in, in my neighborhood. So you couldn't walk, you know, from, you know, a couple of major intersections without entering a new kind of gang territory. And so that was what I was familiar with growing up. I wasn't really as exposed to, you know, fraternities and sororities growing up as I know a lot of folks in the South are uh, and. So when I got to Tuskegee, I was introduced to, you know, more of the, you know, fraternities, sororities on campus and actually was, you know, really inspired by it. like, wow, like that's that was cool. It was it was a lifestyle that I, um, you know, had not really seen before. And so this is my first time being exposed to it. And although I never personally pledged, I was uh, just really inspired by just the 
you know, kind of the the acts of service that, you know, fraternities and sororities embark on and also the brotherhood, the sisterhood that, you know, really reminded me of, you know, gangs back home. Right. In a sense, because, you, I mean, everybody got their own step, their own call, mm-hmm. um, their mm-hmm. own, you know, letters in a sense. Yep. Yep. Uh, and and so it was very uh, kind of I was familiar with the type of like grouping. Um, but I didn't feel as though it was uh, personally my calling per se to to pledge. Uh, and but instead, I felt this kind of personal calling on my life that uh, was really geared towards me just wanting to give back to my community. I felt as though the things that I was learning, like I mentioned, when I first was introduced uh, to social work and that that first introductory course and. You know, I was like, wow, these are things that I could use to take back, you know. And so for me, that that was, you know, really like the beginning of my pledge. And then when I went returned back home for my Christmas break, I was like, man, well, you know, I'm a I went to the swap meet and I got me a, a I got a shirt made. OK, at, that said I pledge Compton real big on the front. I mean, like like real big. And then on the back, it said you can't join this frat. And, and so, because again, this was a, my own personal kind of pledge and there's no disrespect to, to anybody that, that was in a fraternity or a sorority. It just was more so just uh, really just to inspire, continue to keep myself motivated to use the, you know, to stay in school, to uh, continue to learn these things and tools so I could be able to go back, you know, to my hometown and hopefully make a difference. And so that's where it, that's how the story began. And I was, you know, walking on campus with that t-shirt. It became a thing. I was like, kind of like a prop at the parties where people want to take pictures with me with, you know, with my shirt on. Cause it was, you know, it, I really kind of stood out in a sense from, um, you know, just representing my own fraternity. And then I was at the idea uh, audacity to kind of really dream and mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I thought about you know what it would look like the day I graduated from Tuskegee and I was like man I, I envisioned you know my parents and family wearing I pledge Compton shirts uh in 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 the stands you know uh while you know I graduated and that dream became a reality and then at the same time I had a dream of you know wanting to go back to my community like I said and make a difference and then I uh, returned after uh, graduation where I was continuing to pursue my master's degree at USC. And uh, while I was a student there, I continued this momentum and uh, led a march in my community from my uh, neighborhood on the west side of Compton of, on Rosecrans and Central and did a two mile march all the way to Compton City Hall and was, you know, raising awareness to all the different societal ills that we wanted to see a change on. But I also thought about how could we make an immediate impact on our on our community beyond just the, you know, making noise about things that we want to see change. And so we also picked up trash on that two mile march uh, wow. so, uh, to have an immediate impact on the community. And so that that was kind of um, the kind of trajectory of you know, it's starting as something that was just a personal pledge that grew into more so other people wanting to, you know, join me in this pledge and, you know, felt the same way about wanting to give back to our community and other people in other cities as well. 
And uh, so that's kind of how things kind of expanded and ultimately now has uh, landed as the namesake for uh, our community's uh, guaranteed income initiative, which is a historic, you know, uh, landmark and in, in, in initiative for, for, for the city. Wow. Hey, listen, man, you can't, you became a trendsetter and, you know, everybody jumped on that bus, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. it happened. And that was a good thing that you did that. And you were able to just, you know, believe in yourself. You know, a lot of times when people say they believe, you know, when you truly believe just like you've done, I mean, the how to will follow very closely. On the flip side of that, when a lot of people believe, but in the back of their mind, they don't think it's going to work. It just becomes a wish. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Now, listen, let me ask you this, though. Tell us more about the distinguished men of California. Yeah, so that that was actually, you know, probably one of the coolest things that I, I've been a part of. So I got to give a big shout out to uh, other f- fellow Tuskegee alumni, uh, Malik Jones, and uh, my cousin, actually, Melvin Shepard. So we... We've all co-founded the Distinguished Men of California together. And being that we were, you know, really uh, in a state that we weren't all familiar with. Right. So we kind of needed uh, to really kind of band together. And so we had these different state clubs. Right. We had like the California Club and we felt we felt as though it was important because we recognized that a lot of a lot of our fellow Tuskegee men that were from California actually were, you know, not not graduating and, you know, or not coming back, you know, from, you know, we noticed like, hey, they were here in the fall, but didn't show up in the spring. And and we wanted to try to do something to fix that. And one of the things and that that's kind of how it originated and. And so we wanted to make sure that we gave each other the tools and support each other to, to be able to achieve our, achieve our college goals uh, and then also, you know, prepare for those future professional careers. And so it became this kind of brotherhood network where we were helping each other with, you know, resume building, uh, applying for summer jobs. That's good. We even would, you know, go running with each other in the morning. Sometimes when folks were doing they um, kind of military runs in the morning, working out, we would be about to be out there too, just uh, wanting to just keep each other encouraged. And it be, it, it became, you know, such a powerful model uh, for us uh, and, and experience that I actually took similar. Uh, the similar structure of what we were doing at Tuskegee. And I used that when I was an intern at this alternative high school in South L.A. It was called uh, Youth Opportunities Unlimited, YOU. And so we uh, we established a, a, a smaller kind of uh, male empowerment group there. And it was called the Distinguished Men of YOU, which was the school's abbreviation. And as an intern there, I would actually use that same framework uh, during uh, lunchtime, you know, and meeting with, you know, some of the uh the male students on campus and being able to, you know, help these young men with, you know, providing similar tools that we had at Tuskegee and we're supporting each other with. And then this time we incorporated, you know, guest speakers. I have folks coming in from, you know, the basketball players from UCLA to, you know, my former basketball coach, Chris Francis, you know, uh, Tramel Bradford and, and many others that were, 
you know, a part of, um, you know, just coming to help, you know, share their insights and life experiences to kind of help these young men who were really at the highest risk of dropping out or being, you know, involved in, you know, the criminal justice system as they were at, you know, they were, you know, removed from their, you know, regular high school for, you know, many different reasons, but we're trying to catch up credits as just really trying to get their life back on track. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, provided a similar kind of outlet for them. And I, and I can't share this story without saying that as a young man named Brett, that uh, was a part of that program. And I ran into him, I want to say some years later after, uh, you know, he participated in the program because I gave all the young men a certificate after they graduated and he mentioned that we uh, that that uh, he actually keeps that uh, that certificate at his door. Uh, so every time he leaves his house, he's reminded that he is a distinguished man and the, some of the values that, you know, he learned as part by participating in that program. And so that's something that left an imprint on me and, you know, definitely continues to fuel me to continue to try to do what I can to the best support, you know, our young black men and uh, just uh, doing doing my part. Good deal. Good deal. Hey, listen, man, that's some good stuff. And you you making you making things really happen. You know, they, they always say, you know, life is, is not a remote. You got to get up and change it yourself. And you you have done just that. Now. Now, what I need for you to do right now, check it out now. Tell us about your keynote presentation for Social Work Month conference and why this conference is important today in today's era of social work practice. Yeah, so again, I'm I'm, I'm very honored to be a, a, a you know a keynote speaker for this, and I I think my topic on redefining social work practice is important, and I think this conference itself around you know, just making sure that we are, you know, looking at kind of non-traditional ways of, you know, providing, you know, trauma-informed care is really important because we are in a time of our social work practice where there are more people leaving our field than actually uh, coming in. And it is important for us to understand the landscape that we are currently navigating when it comes to our social work career paths and and just the the stakes are higher right and 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 the challenges also are more dire as folks are navigating you know the the impacts of the pandemic and all of the injustices and inequities are at an all-time high and so i think you know, conferences like this are extremely important for refueling us uh, and challenging us to really step up to the plate to meet today's needs. And so for me and the topics that I would like to, you know, discuss during our, our keynote presentation is really uh not only meeting the demands, but how do we meet the demands without taking care of ourselves? And so it is really important that we are practicing self-care. And I think that looks different now than what it looked like 
you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, three years ago. Uh, and, and I think it's important for us to make sure that we are creating spaces for us to, uh, you know, do our heart work, because I think that's what, you know, social work is. It's, it's heart, it's soul work, right? We didn't get into these fields, you know, to, you know, be millionaires. We got into these fields to, you know, make a difference and uh, to help support, you know, really um, our community's most vulnerable. And at the times that comes with a cost. Uh, when, you know, as I've mentioned already a little bit on this podcast, right, of growing up exposed to trauma, uh, but then also reliving trauma as a result, as you help and support, you know, individuals, you know, and communities that are experiencing similar types of trauma, right, in this vicarious nature of being exposed and re-exposed over and over again. And now that can be really challenging, you know, to navigate in a in a time in an era where you know our workload couldn't be higher and so i think taking care of ourselves is extremely important and sometimes that looks like you know being able to make sure that our our systems are really responsive uh, to you know the our our employees needs our fellow social workers that are in the trenches with us doing this work we have to sometimes make sure that we are carving out spaces to make sure, and I, don't, I wouldn't say sometimes, but all the time, creating spaces that we can be our authentic self. And what I mean by that is um, we, we have historically been trained to remove ourselves from the challenges that, you know, are being experienced, you know, by those we serve, right? We are, you know... Um, by nature and and really by survival, a lot of our systems have taught us to uh, actually produce product. And what I mean by that is, you know, to deliver a service. But there's also this process portion that I've learned a lot from, you know, trainings recently with Dr. Kenneth Hardy around that we have to make sure that we are creating these spaces that allows us to be able to, you know, identify when we need to do some check-ins for ourselves, right? So that way we can be able to create space to have these dialogues, which I think, you know, is really important. And, and when I, and, and to give a specific example of what that looks like uh, for my agency here in Solano County, one of the things, one, one clear example is when George Floyd was murdered, it was, devastating to the nation and for sure for 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 the for black social workers for black people mm -hmm. you know all mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. and for 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 our agency to have a meeting or all staff meeting that next day and to not mention anything about uh you know George Floyd and and his and his murder that that to me signals that you know we we got a lot of work we have to do oh right and i goodness. think there's there's a wow. many there's many agencies that probably had a similar response right because what we are trained to do is we've typically been trained to continue on right we don't bring that portion of ourselves to the work 
right? Wow. We get the job done. And so I think in this new era of social work, it's going to be very important for us to make sure that we are creating spaces to have dialogue. And so shortly after, after speaking with leadership, we were able to actually make sure that we created an open space for our staff to be able to just talk about this at work, right? And, and that's okay, right? And deem that okay. And so it, it, it takes courageous leaders in spaces that don't genuinely allow those type of discussions to happen, you know, on, on the work time. So it creates that dynamic. And then it's important for staff to make sure that we are, you know, we, we can show up as our authentic self and say, you know what, I'm struggling, you know, a little bit today with mm-hmm. what I'm hearing, right? Because what that does is that reduces stigma around mental health that also um, allows us to be human, and because I'm I'm not just Eugene, the social worker, I'm Eugene, you know, my uh, my mother's son and she called me Jeannie. Right. 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 And right, so, right. And so there's many sides to us. And I think there that our field has to embrace the all of the dynamics of who we are, because uh, I think that in turn allows us to make sure that we are creating those same spaces for those we serve, uh, because we ex- experience how liberating it is for ourselves and we want to make sure that we create that same type of space for others. Good deal. Hey, man, I mean, Eugene, I mean, you gave us a lot of information to chew on. And, you know, it's very, very informative. And I just want to thank you so much. want to thank you so much. Now, now, listeners, listeners, it's time to go. But you can connect with Mr. Dura and other great professional speakers during the March 24th conference. Now, I need you to go register now and get your seat because it's going to be enlightening, to say the least. Mr. Durah, listen, I mean, you know, they always say, they always say that, you know, if you stay small enough long enough, he'll make you big enough soon enough and you are doing your thing. Is there anyone out there you want to thank or give a shout out to? Yeah, I want to, you know, just personally thank Dr. Jones for this opportunity to be on this podcast and as well as for being able to uh, be the uh, blessed and, you know, honored to be the keynote speaker for uh, next month's um, conference. I, I, I'm just really, um, I'm just really blessed and appreciative. This is a real honor for me. I, I, I uh, do not uh, think it's uh, uh, the, I just I don't take that for granted. And so I'm, I'm very much appreciative of that, this opportunity. I, I'd be remiss with also th- without thanking, you know, God uh, for, you know, just all the blessings in my life that, you know, I've I've, you know, the blessed with the opportunity to be able to do the work that I do uh, to be in this position and I, I just want to be able to help others, you know, uh, as best as I can. So I'm, I'm, it's a whole bunch of people that I could shout out. I could do like a KG rant right now, like right, when, right, when right, championship. Right, right. Uh, right. I want to shout out Compton, all the Compton, Westside Compton. I want to shout out, you know, uh, my mom, my pops, my my brothers, uh, Lamel and Jr. That are also Tuskegee alumni. 
I want to thank just everybody, man, all my friends for for their support. Uh, Thank my wife uh, for allowing me to take some time to be able to do this podcast because she's with my two little ones right now. Um, All right. All right. So, so yeah, and I want to thank you, too, Spencer. Thank you so much. A really cool interview, man. And uh, and also thank you for uh, the the, the, all the all the praise. I feel like I got some some good flowers tonight, man. So I, I really appreciate it. Listen, that's what that's what we do, man. And you 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 mentioned God. It's good to know him. But it's even better to make him known just like you're doing. Hey, listen, y'all, I want to thank you so much for your time this time. And until the next time, I hope it's better than the last. And as my dad would always say, you're never out of business when you mind your own. This is your boy Croft, and we'll holler at you later. Peace. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. This is the podcast, y'all, that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare. Oh, it was a great time, and we look forward to seeing you next time for another mind-stimulating conversation. And until then, remember, y'all, we strive for perfection, but if we have to settle, we only settle for excellence. This is your boy, Crawl. We'll talk to you later.